Well, this summer, uh, we're going to study two different books of the Bible. We're going to take a look at the book of Malachi. Uh, We're going to call that sermon series Fresh Fresh Faith, Fresh Faith, Six Practices for Overcoming Apathy. Uh, Study of that will begin uh, next Sunday, the book of Malachi. And then uh, later in July, toward the end of July, we're going to begin studying the, uh, uh, the book of 2 Peter. And we'll call that series different, that since we belong to uh, Jesus Christ, there's something different about us. There's something different about our God, about our faith, and we'll explore what that is through the uh, book of Second Peter. Uh, interspersed, we're going to have a, uh, a linked series, but they won't be linked Sunday by Sunday, just three different times. It'll be today, July um, 8, 18th, and September uh, fifth, we're going to do Summer in the Psalms. We've used that title in the past, and we'll revisit that this, uh, this season. Today, we're going to do Psalm 19. And if you happen to be new to the faith and maybe new to using a Bible, all you have to do is open your Bibles in, in the middle, somewhere right in the middle, and, and you'll be, if you're not already in Psalms, you will be very close to it. Uh, so Psalm 19 is our text for today. And if you have your Bible open, we'll put it on the screen as well. Hear the word of God. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. May God bless the reading of his word and may God bless our time together too. I am finding it strange as we emerge from a global pandemic. Maybe you are too. 
Vicky and I were out and about running some errands over the past couple of days, and we found ourselves in different places where over the past number of months we would typically wear masks. And, and now we're going into stores and we're looking at clerks and, and staff and wondering if it, how comfortable they are and what we should do, and it just feels strange. And reflecting back on those early days, those days when we panic-shopped toilet paper, now we're coming out into a different place. Even knowing that as we emerge from this, that there are major parts of the world that are still under the dark shadow of the pandemic and the threat of death for loved ones, if not for themselves. We might call, call this time a liminal season. A liminal season. Liminality is that sense of disorientation when you're in a time of transition, that there was a time before the transition began, and there will be a time that comes after the season of transition. But in that liminal space, we experience this liminality, this disorientation. It's not a bad thing. It actually provides us an opportunity. We can ask questions like, what have I discovered about myself in the world during this season? In the midst of our transition, we can ask questions like, what have I learned about God and about my relationship with Him? As we work through our discernment, we can get to that point of, what are the changes that I feel drawn to, that I want to make as I move forward, that we don't want to miss the richness of what this season can mean for us individually and collectively. Well, the psalm we have today meets us in our liminality. It speaks to us. It provides encouragement. It gives direction. And it presents a response that we are to consider. This psalm has a pretty simple structure to it. It's a three-part structure. In the first set of verses, one through six, we have God in uh, uh, His self-revelation through creation. In verses seven through 11, we have God's self-revelation in Torah, or the law, uh, the words that He has provided. And the third part is a description of our response to God's self-revelation. So let's take a look at each one of those in turn. The first one then is God's self-revelation in creation. All right, when was the last time you intentionally sat down to enjoy a sunrise or a sunset? When was the last time you intentionally sat down. You sought out a sunrise or a sunset. I got to tell you, for me, it's, um, it's been a while. Uh, it, it usually, if it happens at all, it'll be accidental, uh, or it'll happen on vacation when I just have nothing else going on. But there seems to be these distractions that I have adopted in my life. We know that industry itself has moved toward that place of distraction, we have found our ways uh, deep into factories and office buildings, in our cars, rushing to get somewhere. Industry has led and turned over to hurriedness. So not just work that takes us away from sunrises and sunsets, 
but our hurriedness, our sense of we got to get more done in a shorter amount of time. The third thing we might add to that as technology keeps progressing is that in addition to industry and hurriedness, we have screens that we're in love with now. And we keep our eyes cast down rather than looking up at what might reveal to us, something that would reveal to us something of God. You know, when the sun comes up in the morning and you experience that sunrise, it brings to us warmth. I have a, a window in my kitchen that faces east and I'm the one who makes coffee in the morning. And there's that sweet time during the year when our, our wake-up time is right when the sun is coming up and and it's when the leaves are not on the trees and I can feel the warmth coming through the window and, and it uh, bathes the whole kitchen. Warmth and purpose comes with a sunrise. We know with, that when the sun goes down, we're, we're blessed by those colors and, and the artistry of it. And it's an indicator that time for rest has come. And when the stars come out, we can be filled with awe. We can be overcome with humility. You know, it's not just about them being beautiful. There's something else going on. That's what the psalmist points out. That's what David brings to our attention. You know, it used to be that you could walk through a mall. I don't know if anybody walks through a mall any longer, but it, it used to be a thing. And there would be these jewelry counters. Like, even if you weren't going to a jewelry store, you could at least walk by a jewelry counter you can look into a jewelry display box or a, a jewelry counter and you can see these beautiful items on display. And you can look at them and, and point out how good one looks over another. But something happens when someone comes along and purchases one of those pieces of jewelry and gives it to a loved one. Now, in addition to simply being beautiful, that piece of jewelry speaks about love and connection and relationship. It's a gift from one person to the next. And so the psalmist looks at creation not just for its intrinsic beauty, not just for its descriptive beauty, but because it is a gift to us. Psalm 19 it kind of serves as a set of cliff notes saying, look at creation. Look, 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 look at what God has provided in the, in the heavens, in the skies. Look at what God has provided in the sun and its movements. And here's the story behind it, the cliff notes. What do the heavens, the sky, and the movement of the sun tell us? Well, when we look at that first set of sentences in the psalm, we find that they tell us of a glorious and powerful and self-revealing God. We can look at the words. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. In the ancient sense of cosmology, in their understanding, they, they uh, had this assuredness that, that God in His creation provided this, this space above them, a, a firmament this, this idea that there's an overturned bowl that would protect them from the waters above. And that the land would be what would protect them from the waters below. That this God is a God who protects and provides. Glorious is this God. Weighty is this God. It's not just beautiful, but it speaks of a relationship, of a covenant. 
He goes on to say, day to day pours out speech and, and night to night reveals knowledge. That picture of an ongoing relay with the baton never being dropped. One day giving away to the next day and the next day and the next day. One night giving away to the next night and the next night. And it keeps going. Day to day pours out speech. It reveals to us something of God. Then that next line, there is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Now that's the way that the NRSV translates it. It's the more historic, the more traditional interpretation of that line. Let me say it again. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. In the ESV, in the NIV, they, they take that last line, they say there is no speech, nor are there words that are not heard, like that's always going to be heard throughout the, the whole of the world. But there's a sense of that God, when He creates, it's not in a language that any particular culture would understand, but all cultures do. Yet their voice goes out through all the earth. You know, we can look at creation and I think sometimes because of our scientific understanding, we go, yeah, 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 creation. Yeah, great. Until we're so maybe overwhelmed by a, a big mountain or the picture of an ocean. But otherwise, we kind of just, yeah, we got it. The earth spins, goes around the sun, blah, 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 blah. But maybe it's because we don't know enough about science. I was reading this past week, and I kind of like cosmology. And I always have to remember it's cosmology, not cosmetology. It's two different things. And so... Uh, but in cosmology, I found this out. Maybe you already knew this. Do you know that um, if we took uh, our sun and we wanted to compare to the earth, you can fill the sun with 1.3 million earths. Just gives you a sense of scale. And if you think that's something, there is a hypergiant star in our galaxy known as UY Scuti, UY Scuti that you could take 3.7 billion of our suns and put it inside of UY Scuti. 3.7 billion of our suns. So this God, this God who creates, here's the cliff notes. He creates and he reveals himself as glorious and powerful and self-revealing. And we next find that he shows himself to be good and trustworthy. We already know that in creation, that, that God created all things good. He, he had his fingerprints all over it. He is the source of all things. And in the first chapter of the Bible, he says that God saw that it was good. God creates good for us. But we find it in our text too. When David, the psalmist, when, when he speaks out that it's like a, uh, the sun, so he first talks about the skies and the heaven, and he talks about the, the sun as being something that makes its way in it, and, and that the sun is like a bridegroom that comes out of his chamber. That is a good thing. That has so much hope in it. When the bridegroom leaves his chamber, when he leaves his home, and he joins the community, and he makes his way to his bride, that's a good thing. It holds so much hope for the whole of the community. And then to have it described as a champion runs his course with joy. A strong man runs his course. It's confidence. It's trustworthiness. 
And then we next learn that this God is holy and righteous and discerning. We can see it in the movements. We, we know that it's, it's it put into the very experience of the Son, God speaking. For nothing is hidden from the Son's heat. And we get this sense that, yes, we know that our God, our God is discerning. Our God is holy and righteous. And that all these qualities are reflected in creation. God's gloriousness, His glory, God's powerful, uh, his, his power, His revealing nature, his, his goodness, His trustworthiness, His holiness, His righteousness, and His discernment. All this reflected. Here's why Paul can come to this conclusion in the book of Romans he can say this, he says in, in his uh, description of, of why the importance of needing Jesus, part of that is he says in verse 19 of chapter 1, for what can be known about God is plain to them, plain to people, because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. God showing himself to us. This is good news. A good universe. And you might say, but how can a good universe have things like a virus that causes a worldwide pandemic? Even as creation itself is in, uh, uh, created by God for his good glory, revealing himself, we know that even creation is yearning for that day, groaning for that day, to be free of the bondage of corruptness, that it too would be restored, a new heaven and a new earth. God's self-revelation in creation. So let's move on to God's self-revelation in His words. Do you happen to have a favorite emoji that you like to use that lets people know it's you, it's kind of your signature? I looked up in my phone, because I'm not much of an emoji guy. I may have used, I think my assortment of emojis may be three. I don't know. Uh, I use the thumbs up. I use a basic smile. If I'm really feeling reckless, I use the smile with the teeth, you know, the big smile with the big teeth. But I counted, I think, without, without going into too many pages, I, I found 27 different smiles you can use. There's the smiles with the, with the kind of you know, squinted eyes, there's the smiles with the really squinted eyes, there's the smile with the rosy cheeks, the really rosy cheeks, there's a smile with a cowboy hat. I haven't had a need to use that one yet, but what's your go-to emoji? God's go-to communication over the centuries has been the capturing of His words through His children, conveyed one generation to the next. In the celebration of God's self-revelation in His words, David here provides six nouns, seven adjectives, five verbs, and four direct objects. The six nouns, in a way of just using his thesaurus and, and coming up and saying, listen, we need to celebrate something here. And so he lists them out, the Torah or the law, the testimony, precepts, commandments, fear, 
and rules. The outlier in that is this word for fear. And it's that sense of he breaks the, the, the pattern and he talks briefly about the response to these laws, these precepts, that they create in us a sense of, of submission, of respect, of surrendering to his words. The seven adjectives that together these things are perfect and that meaning complete and sure and right and pure and clean and true and righteous. These are, these explains what God's words are. The next set of words then are the verbal words, the, the action words. Words like reviving. Gerald Wilson in his commentary says that another meaning of this word would be repenting, that they, they cause us to repent, that they're, they're reviving, repenting words. They make wise, they, they rejoice, they, they enlighten, uh, they endure. These are God's, this describes for us what God's words accomplish. And then we have these four direct objects, the soul, the simple, the heart, and the eyes. So God's words described with those adjectives, moving in these patterns, reaching the soul, the simple, the heart, and the eyes. And then he has that description. All this being said, all this description, he says, look, we can say it this way, that it is better than gold. Even much fine gold is more desirable, like, like you hunger for it, you want it, you, you, you want after it, more than any kind of treasure here in this world. And that it's sweeter than honey. Is this our view of the Bible? Do you wake up and, and, and think, gosh, I, I can't wait. It is so sweet. It is so desirable. It may be that we think of the Bible and we think, gosh, it's long. There's a lot of words. How come God didn't use emojis? It would have helped. Maybe we think of it as boring. I just can't read all those numbers and all those lists. Maybe we find it old and irrelevant to our lives today. And yet, if this is God's word, if this, you know, when we receive something in our email box and, or in our, in our text, uh, texting app, and if we don't recognize it, we may just delete it right away because we don't know the source. In fact, you might even report it as spam. I don't know this person, and they're reaching out to me. And David's saying, wait a minute, that's not the case here. Do you know that these words, they're from God. These words, these wonderful words, they're from God, and they're intended for you. More desirable than gold, sweeter than honey. We know that this understanding is all over Scripture. It's in Joshua 1.8. Maybe you, you know that verse. As Joshua, the protege of Moses, as he's heading into the promised land to lead God's people, it says in Joshua 1.8, this book of law, this Torah, this book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Get this, so that you may be careful to do according to to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. 
and then you will have good success. All the way up into the New Testament, as Paul writes to his protege, Timothy, we find these words that Paul gives to him in 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, all Scripture. And we know that at the time when Paul writes this, there is this thinking of what we call the Old Testament, that all Scripture, the, the Scripture that God is providing, the Word of God, the, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the person of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This view of Scripture. And then, as if that's not enough, God goes and sends His Son into, the, into this world. The way that John puts it, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. The living Word. Desirable. Helpful. Reviving. All right, so then let's turn to the third part of the psalm. Our response to God's self-revelation. I'm sure you've had one of these dreams before, if not many of them. You know that dream when you show up unprepared? You know when you show up and you don't have the right clothes on or maybe any clothes at all? Or, or there's going to be a test and, and you haven't studied for that test at all and, and you show up in that dream and, and there's this horrible juxtaposition. Like just this just significant uh, juxtaposition of two things that don't go together. Well, there is this dreadful, shocking juxtaposition that David feels in response to what God has revealed. When he looks into himself and he knows that there's this presence of sin and he turns his attention in light of what God has revealed, he wants a response in himself. He puts it this way. He talks about errors, hidden faults, and presumptuous sins. And it's a passionate desire to be rid of all of them. Errors, these unintentional sins. You know, that sense of going along and just, just not even aware that what I was doing, the pattern of life I was adopting, that it goes against God's heart. It can be little things, it can be big things that we carry around in life, but we're just not aware of it. David wants to be free of that in light of who God is. Hidden faults. Again, Gerald Wilson in his commentary describes these as these are these secret sins, the ones that we do when no one else is watching, or the presumptuous sin, the willful disobedience. I uh, liked taking uh, shop classes when I was going through school, and I learned how to use a lathe. And I was thinking that everybody here in this room and watching online probably has had experience using a lathe. Maybe not. But it provides a little bit of an example of, of what we mean by hidden faults, uh, errors, and presumptuous sins. If you're learning to, to use a lathe and there's an instructor, it could be that errors, these unintentional sins, is you don't even know that you're holding uh, the carving tool incorrectly. That you're not allowing for the right angle or the right spacing. And the instructor comes over and says, wait a minute, 
I know you didn't know this. Let me point this out to you. A a hidden fault would be like when the instructor turns his back and no one else is looking. You take the the chisel, the, the device that you hold up against the wood with the sharp edge, and you take it and no one else is looking, and you throw it in the air and you catch it or try to. You know that shouldn't go on in the, in the, in the shop class, but, but you do it. Not that I'm saying it happened, but you do it. And that these presumptuous sins would be just to ignore the instruction altogether. You know what the instructor said, but you're going to do it your way. And David goes, listen, in light of who you've shown yourself to be, this good God, who gives us this gift of creation, the good God who gives us the gift of Torah, of law, of His words, that we would know Him and follow Him well. I want to be rid of those things. Now, this is not any modern view of perfection. This isn't like, well, who, you know, can anybody really be without sin? Come on now. And so we kind of give up on the whole thing. This is not that. This is instead a passionate desire for alignment with God, a passionate desire for alignment with God, to be like Christ. And so replacing the sins with this desire, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and redeemer. And so, as we emerge from this season, as we emerge from this, this darkness that we have encountered, the, the isolation, the, the, the threat of illness, the, the loss of loved ones, and when the list goes on, the, the, the uh, disruption of economy, the, the change in patterns, the, the disruption of food supplies, all that goes on with it as we emerge from that time. And knowing that we are on the leading edge of that emerging, that there's many others that still need our prayers and our generosity. But as we emerge, we can find in creation, as it reveals who God is, we can find in Scripture, as it reveals who God is, a light in the midst of darkness. Uh, in, I have a little room in, in our home that I have as my home office. And... and uh, Let's just say I'm not the tidiest person in my office. And there are times that I need to go into my office at night and, and uh, get something from the far end. And at times I don't turn the light on. And I, um, uh, in a very gross way of braille, I soon discover <laughs> that there are things for me to trip on. Obstacles. And light makes such a difference. And in this world, to have light in the midst of a liminal experience, as we transition from what was to what will be, we're not going to be passive. We don't just want to return to what was. This is too precious of a moment. And we say, God, shine your light. Let me know of your power and your glory and your holiness, even as it's shown in creation. Let me know of your goodness and your direction and your priorities through your spoken and your written word through Christ, through the gift of your Spirit, that we might be able to answer more faithfully, more aligned with the very heart of God, the questions, what have I discovered about myself 
and about the world during this, during this season? What have I learned about God in my relationship with Him? And what changes will I make as we emerge from this time of pandemic? May it be that we collectively come to that place. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself. You know the degree to which each one of us has ignored what you have revealed. You know the degree to which we pay attention to our business, our hurriedness, our screens, anything else. God, would you capture our attention again? Would you, would you uh, remind us of the, of the delight that we can find in what you have revealed, what you have revealed about yourself? May it be to us as light in the midst of darkness that you would find in us hearts not given to sin, but hearts that desire you and your way for our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.